Hello and welcome to Peace, the podcast. This podcast is sponsored by Peace, a United Methodist community in Shoreview, Minnesota. I'm Jason Steffenhagen, the lead pastor. And each episode will typically start with a sacred story reading coming from the Holy Scriptures, followed by the message that was given during our Sunday morning worship time. Any announcements for our community will come at the end of each episode, so stick around. If you are curious about learning more about Peace, the United Methodist Community, you can go to peaceumc.com. Again, that's peaceumc.com. If you would like to find more episodes, you can find them on our website or go to our show page, which is peacethepodcast.podbean.com. Once again, that's peacethepodcast.podbean, P-O-D-B-E-A-N, We hope that you enjoy this episode. Please like, rate, review, subscribe. And now, on to the Sacred Story Reading. So when I was living in Tennessee, I was working at a college, and we had chapel multiple days a week. And while I was there, they built this beautiful chapel. It was a standalone chapel. It was modeled after chapels that you might see or churches that you might see in Europe. And so it was in the shape of a cross made out of this beautiful limestone, had this beautiful woodwork both in the pews, the floor, the ceiling. It was just this unbelievable building. And they asked somebody to put their office in there, so they had a physical presence on site, and it was me. So I got to have an office in this beautiful new, brand new chapel building. I got to pick out the art that went on the walls in my office. It was really kind of a beautiful uh, place to work for a number of years. And at that chapel on Tuesdays once a month, this kind of Pentecostal charismatic school that I was working at that had a lot of exuberant worship music, a lot of standing and dancing. They decided that once a month they would host a very liturgical chapel service for those that wanted something that looked very traditional and looked a lot different. And so they hired this Presbyterian priest, this this woman who was teaching a couple adjunct classes at the university. They hired her to come and help put together these services. And they said, we need someone to kind of knows our system, knows our processes to partner with her in order to put these together. And they chose me to do that since I was working in the building and had helped plan other chapels and things like that. So Heidi and I decided to plan these chapels together. We worked with one of the choir directors on campus, and we'd have these musical ensembles come in. She would preach these unbelievable messages. She was one of the best preachers I've ever heard. She had this way of weaving scripture and story and and lessons and, and understandings that I was just so impressed by listening to her speak every month. And I just was always wanting to grab coffee and just connect with her and listen and just find out how did she do this magic with her words. And I just loved learning from her and listening to her. And we had such a great partnership for a number of years planning these chapels. And then I announced to the, to the people I was working for in the school that I was going to be leaving to go back to Minnesota. And they all looked at me really funny because they were like, you do know that winters in Tennessee are a little bit calmer than they are in Minnesota. And I was like, yes, but your summers are crazy hot. And so we were moving back to Minnesota and unbeknownst to me, I did not know this was happening. Um, The last liturgical chapel that I was a part of, Heidi got up to speak. And at the end of her, her time speaking, 
She stopped the service and said, now, some of you know that Jason's getting ready to move back to Minnesota and go back to working at a different institution up north, and, um, and I, want to, I want to honor his work and, and things. And she, she took off the stole that she was wearing, and she said, come up here. And she placed her stole around my shoulders, and she offered a prayer and said, now the spirit that you brought to this place of love and generosity and kindness, may you take that with you as you go in your future endeavors of ministry and serving the church and serving others. And it was really moving. I was fighting back tears as hardcore as I could because I didn't want to stand in front of, you know, 500 people or 300 people and just be crying my eyes out. I'd already done enough of that, knowing that I was leaving them. Um, and so she put this on me, and it was a really beautiful thing. And the service, they sang some music. She did a blessing, and then we all went to leave. And she pulled me aside, and she said, Okay, Jason, I know this is called a stole, but it's also called a yoke. And here's what you need to know. Now that you've been yoked, try not to get egged. And I, we, of course, just burst out laughing. It was, it was really funny. And I said, I don't know if that's a bad thing, if you're going to get egged. And she's like, no, it's probably not. It probably means you're saying something people need to hear, right? And so I always appreciated Heidi Johnson's ability to bring humor, to bring insight, and to bring such deep, profound meaning to things. And, and it's part of, part of what I try to do when I speak is remember her spirit um, and the call that she put on my life. The, you know, I had a calling to ministry, but, but she helped solidify it as a pastor, as someone who was there to care for others. And I was always grateful for that. And I don't wear this often, as you know, I'm not, we're not that formal around here. Um, but if I, I did wear the robe, this would be the first stole that I would want to wear as a way to honor uh, the yoke that she provided to me um, that I now carry forward. So as you know, we are in the middle of a series that we're calling Retrace, where we're examining the passages that are often used against the LGBTQ plus community. And so we're, we're retracing them. We're diving into the history. We're diving into the context, the culture. We're driving, diving into the authorship to find out what's going on in these passages. On the surface, they seem to be saying one thing, but is that, is that what they're saying? Or are there other ways of examining these passages or finding out what they may mean for us, both in the time that they were given and for us now? So how can we retrace these passages. And so the reason why I started with the story of a yoke and the story of Heidi giving this to me is that our churches have often been places where we emphasize this thing called doctrines. That a lot of times when you want to know what a church is all about or denomination is all about, you want to look up what are their doctrines, what are their beliefs, what are their values, what do they think about certain things. And some churches have long lists of doctrines. And sometimes doctrines can be really beautiful and really helpful. They can help give shape, and they can give place, and they can help us understand exactly kind of what is happening in the place that we're in. I would highly recommend if you were ever to check out a new church or in a new area, if you were to move, that you do look on a church's list of beliefs and doctrines to find out what they believe. It'll tell you about what they value and who they are. And it might tell you if it's a church that you feel that you're safe in or comfortable in or a church that you might not. The thing about beliefs and values and these doctrines of the faith that can be good is that they give shape, but there's also a side that can be a little hard. And it's when we defend the doctrines 
more than we defend anything else. It's when we think that this list is the only list that anyone else can believe, and if they believe anything different than these things, these 12 things, these 10 things, these 8 things, these 30 things, if they deviate from this list at all, then they can't belong here. They can't be a part of this. They can't be included here. And so oftentimes institutions and churches become places where the doctrines are held up the highest. I, don't, I come from a very doctrinal background, but my years of study have taught me that faith is not just about finding the correct doctrines and agreeing to them, but faith is this developmental thing that's ongoing. That faith is more human than anything. It's meant to be relational and it's meant to be wrestled with. It's meant to be doubted at times and ran away from and then run back to. That faith is this thing that we are caught up in and we're wrestling with and we're messing around with and we're also just in the flow of. That faith is dynamic and it's alive and it's relational. It's not static and fixed and done the way that doctrines can often be. One of my contentions about ministry is asking the question, are we a doctrinal institution or are we a developmental space? Now, I get we have to have certain doctrines. We need to have things that we can use to give us shape and place. But ultimately, we should be developmental. We should be growing. We should be reconciling not reconciled as if it's over and done with and we've solved all the problems of the world, but reconciling because it's an ongoing process. It's something that needs to continue, that we're not done with the work that God has for us. God's not done yet. Even though Christ came and died and rose again, it's not over. It's not done. It's not complete. It's in the process of being saved. It's the process of a life of faith. It's the process of growing into who God has called us to be. I want us to hold this idea of growth and development, especially as we engage a passage like we're going to see in Leviticus 18 and Leviticus 20. Because one of the most challenging passages of the Bible for those that are engaging the topic that we are, are two passages, two verses that come in Leviticus 18 and 20. And here they are. Leviticus 18.22 and Leviticus 20.13. 1822 says, you shall not lie with a man as with a woman. It is an abomination. And in verse 13 of chapter 20, it says, if a man lies with a male as with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall be put to death. Their blood guilt is upon them. So I've titled this sermon, Laws, Rules, Codes, and Community. Because the Levitical book is all about the laws and the codes and the rules for this community that's come out of slavery, finds themselves in the wilderness, and they're going to be in the wilderness for 40 years, and they're preparing to go into the promised land, the land that God has for them. And while they're in the wilderness, they're given the expectations, the laws, the rules, the codes for what it means to be a part of this community. In a way, they're given their doctrines, they're given their expectations. But here's the question I have for us. Why these laws? What's, what's with these laws? Why these laws? These seem to be very specific laws. And I think it's fair for us to ask, okay, what's going on with these laws? And why would these be included? So one thing I want to point out right at the top 
is that this is a male-focused passage only. That should tell you something about the time in which we are operating. We are not operating in the first century when Jesus was on the earth, and we're not operating when the Babylonians were taking over. We're operating 4,000 years ago in the ancient, ancient Near East when Israel has just come out of Egypt. And so we're talking about a very primitive ancient society where women are devalued in culture to the level of property, and we are not seeing them highlighted at all uh, in Scripture at this point in time. And so these laws are male-oriented only, which is why they're written the way they are. One of the interesting questions is that the word abomination seems to be a pretty harsh term used at this time. The interesting thing about the word abomination is that it usually wasn't in reference to sin, so a harm done between two people. That the word abomination wasn't about something that I did to you that caused you pain that I need forgiveness for. The word abomination is not about a wrong that needs to be righted. An abomination was often used as a boundary marker. It distinguished one group from the other. So, for instance, earlier in the book of Exodus, the Israelites are not allowed to eat too close to the Egyptians. They're in captivity in Egypt, and they're not allowed to eat too close to them because to the Egyptians, it would be an abomination for their food to be contaminated by Israel. And so it doesn't have anything to do with sinning. It doesn't have anything to do with a violation of someone's person. It's not like harming anyone. It's just there's a boundary between us. You're Egyptian, we're Israelite, we're not going to mix, so don't get your food too close to mine because then I could eat your food, you could eat mine, and that's not unhealthy, and that's going to make us too, too similar or something, and we're, we're going to cross a boundary and we shouldn't do that. Oftentimes, it was used to distinguish between two groups of people. And so the question then becomes, okay, well, what's distinguished here? Why is God distinguishing between Israel and everyone else by this law about people um, sexually engaging with one another. Well, part of it is because there was no form of consensual, healthy, monogamous, same-sex relationship in the ancient Near East. That type of relationship did not exist the way it does in our culture today. They did not have egalitarian laws for women, and they definitely did not have egalitarian laws for people that were attracted to the same sex. And so we are not talking about consensual relationships, about two people that are in love with each other, wanting to express that love for a lifetime with one another. What we're talking about in this instance is we're talking about people that are choosing to establish their power over one another or to gratify their sexual desires over somebody else or using someone else. One of the reasons that many scholars think that this is a violation is because patriarchy is such a strong piece of the culture at the time. So patriarchy, as we all know, is where there's a male-dominated society that shapes the rules and expectations for everything, and it's all geared towards the elevation of men over women. And so at this time in the ancient, ancient Near East, you had a devaluing of women, you had men that were seen as the pinnacle of all things, and sexually... If you were to act like a woman, it was seen as degrading to the entire culture and society about what a male was supposed to be. 
So if a man acted like a woman, it was seen as unhealthy or it was seen as degrading of that society or of that culture. And so at that time, practicing this form of sex was seen as a way of devaluing the culture at hand. And so Israel had laws trying to establish themselves uniquely in the place that they were in, trying to have different codes and expectations and rules and laws that gave shape to them as a society. Now, interestingly enough, this all sounds like, okay, you're, you're kind of explaining it a little bit. Like, we kind of get we're set really far back. We get that there's boundary making and differences between people. We get that there's patriarchy. There's this hierarchy between men and women, and, and it somehow is connected to this passage, and you're kind of confusing me, and I don't really know how to follow this. Totally, totally get it. Here are some other abominations and reasons why you might get killed or stoned in the ancient Near East according to the Levitical Code. If you disobey your parents, you should stone the child, okay? If you divorce someone or have an affair with someone, then you should be stoned or killed. If you mix two different fabrics together, then you should be exiled or or killed for that. If you eat um, shrimp, you should be killed for that. So Leviticus has some really fascinating really troubling, questionable expectations for community, for their, their laws and their rules and their codes. If your child steps out of line at all, well, let's hope you have some more, because that one's gone. <laughs> if you eat the wrong fish, like, shoot, I just had a shrimp. Well, everyone get out the stones. It's time to take that one out. So we can see that there are some questionable laws and expectations happening here in Leviticus. Now, there's reasons for these laws. This is a very violent time. This is a very troubling time. This is a time where some cultures let everything go and they had no rules and expectations, or they actually had some really harsh ones, like harsher than what we're reading in Leviticus. And so part of what we see in the book of Leviticus is actually a move towards healthier community. Now, reading that or hearing what I just said doesn't sound like we're moving towards healthier community. But, but, if we recognize how violent things were in the ancient, ancient Near East, we could actually read Leviticus a little bit differently. So for instance, there was an expectation in the ancient, ancient Near East in the cultures around them that if you did harm to your neighbor, if you stole their goat, they got to take five from you and one of your kiddos, right? It was a one-upsmanship. If they punched you, you you got to beat them up. And so there was always this one-upsmanship that was happening. And so in the Levitical Code, it says an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Now, we read that in our culture today. We read that in the first century when Jesus addresses it. And Jesus is like, okay, this eye for an eye thing, this tooth for a tooth thing, like, let's just forgive each other. We don't actually need to be doing that. We don't need to be doing an eye for an eye anymore. We don't need to have, like, we don't need to do that. But in Leviticus, it was seen as a peacemaking effort. That if you steal one of my sheep, then I'm gonna then then I, then I get one of yours in return. Let's just let's just make it equal. Like if you kill one of my people, I get to kill one of your people, not all of your people. So we're actually in Leviticus taking violence out of circulation 
even though it still seems incredibly violent, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, feels like a very violent way of existing, and yet at that time, it was lessening the violence. And then Jesus comes along and says, no more of this. Let's forgive each other. Let's not do that. And so we see Jesus on this trajectory towards shalom, towards healthy relationship, towards love, towards grace, towards forgiveness. Now, all of these laws, all these expectations, all of these ways of existing in community, those were considered the yoke of the rabbis, the yoke of the Pharisees. They were the rules, and there were over 610-odd rules and expectations for the community of Israel, all the way up into the first century. So when Jesus steps on the scene, there's a lot of tension around, okay, which rules should we follow? There's a lot of them. And if I don't follow one rule, I can't go to the temple and offer sacrifices. I can't be forgiven of my sins. And so there's a lot of expectations that are put on people. And then Jesus has this to say, come to me, all who are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. One way of understanding what Jesus is doing in this passage is he's saying, the yoke that I'm putting on you isn't 610 rules that you somehow have to keep track of and try to understand. You don't, th- th- this, this whole law that, that you've had to memorize and try to figure out and to not step out of for fear of stoning and fear of you know, losing a kid or fear of, of all these things, that's not what's going on here. God is not that harsh. There's actually a new law. And that new law is what John and Steve and Dave were singing about and leading us to. It's that law of love. That love is the law of Christ. That it's an easy law. Might not be easy to live out. Might not be easy to enact. It might actually be very challenging at times and hard because some people are hard to love. Sometimes this world can be difficult to embrace. But this new law of Christ is easy because it's love, it's grace, it's forgiveness, it's generosity of spirit, it's being kind, it's being patient with one another. It's being patient. I said that twice for a reason. How many of us have a hard time being patient? How many of us have a hard time being forgiving, being people of grace with the world around us? But that's the law of Christ. That's the good news of Christ. That's the code of this new community that we're invited into. That's the idea of the covenant that we're to participate in. It's the love and the grace and the forgiveness of Christ. The writers of the New Testament say that, that Christ has, out, has, has fulfilled the law. And Paul even writes that the law has been abolished because of Christ. So everything that we read in Leviticus, everything that gave shape to that community, everything that created a boundary, everything that was influencing the patriarchal society that they lived in, all of that has been fulfilled in Christ and has been abolished, and it no longer holds over us the same way that it used to that there's a new law, a new covenant that overrides the old one. That new covenant is one of love and grace and forgiveness, and it invites us 
as opposed to excludes us. It welcomes us. It creates a sense of belonging as opposed to a sense of rejection. We're not looking for reasons to keep people out. We're looking for all the reasons to bring people in. And here's the qualifier for being part of it. Be human. Breathe. Oh, you did it. Good job. You're, you're part of it now. That's what Christ is up to, is bringing us all to the table and saying, you belong here. You are welcome here. Grace is here for you. Love is here for you. And what we see in Christ is this movement forward. We see this with the New Testament letters of Paul, is that we're actually moving things forward. Is the Bible perfect? No. Is the Bible going to say it exactly the way we want it to say it in 2023? No, of course not. It was written like 2,000 years ago, 4,000 years ago, 6,000 years ago is where these stories are coming. It's not going to sound the way we want it to now, but the Bible is a movement forward in human history. It's launching us. Leviticus was a move forward in the ancient, ancient Near East. Jesus was a move forward in the first century. Paul's writings were a move forward in the time that he was writing, and now we continue that move forward of inclusion and embrace, and we say, you are part of us. You belong here. Love is what matters the most. And so we, as a people, have to ask ourselves, what's the yoke we're putting on people? That doctrines are important. Understanding our faith it helps us give shape. Go to the website and you can read our lists of beliefs and values, our key messages. We're going to talk about them in the membership class. But the question is ultimately, are we embodying love and are we moving forward towards grace and forgiveness? Are we moving towards a justice that isn't just about punishment, but a justice that brings about life? Are we embodying love? Is that the yoke that we're putting on people? Is that the yoke that we're inviting people to embrace? I hope our yoke is big enough for that kind of love. I hope that we're willing to put that around the shoulders of the people that walk through this door. And I hope that's the way we choose to live as that yoke is upon us. Let's pray. God of the yoke of love, the yoke of grace, the yoke of forgiveness, the yoke of the cross and the resurrection, the yoke of the spirit that is within us, moving us towards Shalom. May we embrace that yoke. May we learn what it means to be a people that, yes, we have expectations and codes and rules and laws in our own time. But the question isn't, does everyone fit into us, but are we moving forward so that we can be inclusive and hospitable to the love that Christ has for us and for all people? May we put on the yoke of love. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. We are a community that is reconciling and growing for everyone. That means that we are trying to remove the barriers that get in the way of healthy relationship with God, with one another, within ourselves, and with all of creation. We want to remove the things that block us from living into a life of shalom, a life of peace. Um, and to do that, we have to grow. 
And so we have lots of different ways for growth. One of those is by participating in what we're doing here and, and learning and praying and singing and being a part of a dynamic community. We're going to be offering some Bible studies. We have kids programming. We have ways to serve our community. So lots of different ways that we can grow in our faith and grow in our understanding of God and neighbor as we become love and peace in the world. So a couple of quick announcements before we do our invitation of the bell and our call to worship. We are doing a membership class after the service today. I know there's about seven or so people that um, are joining or going to be doing the membership class. And so we're really excited for, for them to do that and then to um, join together in the vows of membership coming up later this fall. And so if you are interested in becoming a member of Peace or just learning about it, you don't have to make a commitment today. But if you just want to learn about our church, learn about the Wesleyan tradition, you're welcome to stay after church and we will uh, have about an, about an hour or so time together where we'll be going to do some learning together. Also coming up is Mary Anglin's 100th birthday. Mary, you didn't even know there was a slide for you, did you? So you can see in the Tuesday news announcements, there's a party coming up in a couple of weeks, and we're really excited to celebrate Mary turning 100. And so if you can stop by, it's going to be kind of a drop-in time together. If you can do that, we would love to have you. Um, I know that, that fam the family, Leatherman family and others would be so excited to see people um, celebrating Mary. So a couple other quick announcements. Um, and many of you have heard the rumor that we have been moving towards hiring a permanent worship leader. As many of you know, we Dave Tidball, who's on the piano today, um, was our worship leader, our, our music director for a long time and retired last August. And then John has been uh, filling in and helping us out with Steve. And so we did find someone and he's here with us today. Uh, Doug Ness, if you don't mind standing up, Doug, I'm sorry I put you on the spot. So everybody, this is Doug. The search committee and SPRC, we did a search and Doug actually found us out and, and we were able to meet with Doug and, and hear him play and sing and uh, we just had a great time getting to know Doug and we're excited for the music ministry that Doug will bring uh, to our, our community. And so we'll have opportunities to get to know Doug more and more as we go. His first Sunday is going to be October 8th, so a couple weeks from today. Make sure you're here for Doug's first Sunday. So with that, as I just said, um, this is John Kearns' last Sunday with us. John has been amazing, as many of you know. Um, I sent John an email a few weeks ago when I was letting him know that we are moving forward with hiring Doug um, and that we were just kind of looking at the fall and how it would lay out with, with Doug coming on. And what I told John in that email, in, in different words, was that I really can't imagine going throughout this year without him there, knowing that Dave was going to retire and needing someone to step in and provide an atmosphere of, of music, of thoughtful worship, of, of engaging uh, content musically, and just thought-provoking ways of articulating faith and, and how we engage culture. John has done all of that, and he's done it uh, professionally. He's done it like kindly. He's done it thoughtfully. And John is probably the easiest person to work with. You just send John uh, like two sentences of what you're going to talk about, and then you get this great set list of music that is going to be engaging for people and interesting to listen to and, and just unbelievable quality. And so, John, we are so grateful for you, for your willingness to be with us. Um, and, and we'll definitely call you when Doug's out of town. But, uh, but we are really, really grateful uh, for the work that you've done and just the, the ministry that you've shared with us and the talent and the ability. And um, we're just very grateful. So. Uh, everybody, John Kearns.
So may you be blessed. May you know that God is with you. May you know that the covenant, the law of love and grace and forgiveness goes with you. May you take that yoke upon you. May you put that yoke on others because of the way that you choose to show up in the world as that hospital presence of grace. May you go in love. May you go in grace. May you go in peace. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to this episode of Peace, the podcast. If you would like to learn more about our community, go to peaceumc.com. Again, that's peaceumc.com. For more episodes of this podcast, you can go to our website or go to the show page, peacethepodcast.podbean.com. Again, peacethepodcast.podbean.com. May you experience the love of God and may you have peace.